This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 280, and we are recording on May 4th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And I am sleepy this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that kind of hot here. It's like 90 degrees. And <gasps> it's that kind of hot where, you know, you remember why before air conditioning was invented, people in the South slept through the daytime. <laughs> you know? So that's how I feel. Like, I just want to Seems legit. That's horrifying. Hey, uh, yeah. It's just from, like, now until September, this is... Swamp land. <laughs> no thanks. It's just like rainy and it is humid here. It's I think the high today is like 80, which is acceptable nice. in yeah. my book. Yeah, I will. I will allow it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it makes me extra sleepy is all I'm saying that it's warm and rainy. So. So, yes, we're going to snooze our way through this show. Just kidding. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> well, welcome. As we said at the top, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means that you can send in your request and we might pick it to give you some options. You can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, Or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site uh, for each episode. And your question can be, it can be for you. It can be maybe you are looking for something for a friend or relative or your book club needs some ideas or you're traveling somewhere and want to know more. Any and all of those things, perfectly valid. And if you are hoping to hear back by a particular date, please put time sensitive either in the subject of the email and then the date you're hoping to hear back by or in the very first line of the form. Otherwise, it is very easy for us to miss it and we will try to get to it. And if we're not going to get to it on the show, but we want to send you a response anyway, we might do that via email. So keep an eye out for those. All right, our feedback today is from Erica, who says, for the reader who asked for books with elderly characters, I have a recommendation. Old Man's War by John Scalzi. Set in the near future where space travel is commonplace, when people reach the age of 75, they have the option to join the Colonial Defense Force to help humans maintain their space colonies. The book explores themes of aging, love, friendship, and duty. Mm. Thank you, Erica, for writing in. Alrighty, so Amanda is going to read our first question, and then we'll do a sponsor, and away we go. Okay, our first question is from Stephanie, who says, I set a challenge last year to read a book set in each state. I've read 23 out of 52. Don't worry, I know there are 50 states. I'm counting D.C. and Puerto Rico. I wanted to wait to submit a question until I was closer to finishing, but I've hit a slump. Can you recommend books with a strong sense of place set in any of the states I've listed? I'm open to most genres, but my favorites are historical fiction, literary fiction, travel, food writing, and SFF, which is hard for this challenge. I love stories that focus on intergenerational families, coming of age, subcultures, and female protagonists. Um, okay, and so the states that she's asking for, 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 for I don't know what that was, for, am I from Minnesota? For <laughs> are Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Wyoming. So this question is kind of fodder for y'all to write in with recommendations from her, because we're only going to take two of them, obviously. So there you go. All right. So let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, 
is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I picked Iowa for this, and I'm recommending Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, um, which is the first book in a trilogy. And the last book, Jack, I think just came out. She took very, very many, several years in between each book. Um, And Gilead is my favorite book in a genre that I call Nothing Much Happens, But Everything is Heartbreaking. Um, And (laughs) it's, it's about an elderly pastor... Preacher? I don't remember what the different denominations use for that title. Dude, Bible guy um, named John Ames, who lives in Iowa. And he, in his elderliness, met a much younger woman uh, and married her and had a son. So he has a seven-year-old son. And he is, as I said, aging. Like, aging to the point where he's probably not going to live for much longer. And so the book is a series of letters that he's writing to his son, who is now seven, about their family history, um, how he came to be, how he came to have such an elderly father, um, and like, you know, life lessons and things that he's trying to impart to this child before he dies, because he's not going to be around for most of his sons growing up, and he knows that to be the case. So this really follows the dames, the preacher who is doing this writing, um, and all of his like family stories. So it goes back to like the Civil War, you know, in the Iowa land, Um, And then moves forward to the present day, which when the book is being written um, or when Ames is writing his letters is like the 60s or the 50s ish, um, because like the civil rights movement has just started to pick up steam and is mentioned a few times in the book. Uh, He also has a relationship with his best friend, who is another preacher who lives next door um, and his preacher and his best friend's son, uh, who is like kind of a ne'er do well who Ames has, John Ames has tried to raise um, or help raise himself. So there's that contentious relationship. And it's just beautiful. And it's beautiful in this very Midwestern way. Like, I have not spent a lot of time in the Midwest, but I feel like you can identify that kind of stiff upper lip Midwest stoicism, faux positivity in the face of really, really bad hardship from a mile away. And that's all that's like entirely what this book is. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so heartbreaking is because his family has been through so much um, and he has so much like just knowledge he's trying to download into a child who he knows he's who he like loves deeply, of course, but knows he's not going to see like any of the important parts of his life. Um, and he's just facing it with this, I don't know, just very Midwestern, like Nordic kind of backbone. Um, and it feels very, yeah, like Iowan. So that's Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. So I picked Wyoming and I literally changed my answer five minutes before <laughs> we started go- recording because I started reading the book I wanted to talk about last night. And while I would not normally recommend a book I have only just started, I am making an exception in this case because it is Wild Rain by Beverly Jenkins. And Ms. Bev is <laughs> has been turning out consistently excellent books for literal decades. Mm-hmm. So I feel very comfortable and confident recommending it, even though I am just getting started in it. So Wild Rain is a romance, as you might know if you have heard of Beverly Jenkins. She's amazing. And I picked this one because it is set in Wyoming right after the Civil War. 
And the main characters are both black. The heroine is a rancher. She, like, owns her own land. She works her own ranch. She lives by herself. She wears pants. Like, you know, <laughs> she's, she's, she's doing her thing. And the hero is a reporter from D.C. who is in town to do a story on our heroine Spring's brother. Uh, and he they meet because there is it's it's very Wyoming there is a giant blizzard and spring is headed back to her farm from wherever she was trying to get through it and she sees this like horse wandering around she's like "Mm, there's probably a person who's you know belongs with this horse somewhere out here and sure enough she finds Colton like stumbling through the snow his knee is hurt he's gonna die so she takes him back to her cabin and like you know, thaws him out and also gives him the business like, you're under my roof, like you play by my rules. And he is extremely polite and gentlemanly and also sort of mystified because, you know, in D.C., in his neighborhood and his circles that he moves in, women certainly do not wear pants and own their own ranches and like threaten to shoot him if he puts a foot wrong. So (laughs) it's a really fun dynamic. And it is so, it feels so geographically specific is, mm. is one of the other reasons I picked it, even having only read a couple chapters, because you really do get a feel for what the landscape that they're moving through is like and like what that's like for somebody from back east, which is fun because I'm from the East Coast and like, yes, can, you know, identify with his struggles over like, what mm-hmm. kind of boots do I actually need here? Like, ugh. And, uh, and then they're just such compelling characters. And you can tell sort of from the jump that, you know, they both have different baggages, as is common in romance novels. Spring clearly has had a rough upbringing and has worked very hard to make herself independent and reliant uh, on no one, including a man. And so she has, you know, that going on. And Colton is actually, his parents are pressuring him into marrying this woman who is described as smart, interesting, and wonderful, just not for him. Side note, I love to see that. Not like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, there's this, you know, crazy other woman who I'm trying to escape. Like, no, she's great. She's just not for me. So that's lovely. And he's got his other things going on. So I think that this is, you know, Beverly Jenkins writes amazing romances that are diverse and historically accurate. Mm. Amazing. Like, yes, black ranchers did exist in Wyoming. That's a real thing. Here's a story about them. (laughs) And so it's a subculture, which you mentioned wanting more of. It is very steeped in the geography of Wyoming. And you didn't mention whether or not you read romance, but you said pretty much any genre is fine. So here we are. So that's Wild Rain by Beverly Jenkins. All right, next question is from Lindsay, who says, I've recently realized a certain type of series I enjoy. I'm hoping for more suggestions. Two series I loved are the Seven Waters series by Juliette Marillier and the Samaria series by Sharon Shin. Fantasy romance where each book tells its own complete story. The successive books in the series stay in the same world, but with a new cast of characters of the next generation. It's the opposite of ending a book on a cliffhanger, which I hate, so mm-hmm. it really works for me. Also want the series to be complete so I can marathon read the whole thing at once. No YA, please. All right, Amanda, what did you pick? I picked the Earthsinger Chronicles by L. Penelope, which is um, four or five books long at this point. And each book is a different main character set, all set in the same universe. So it takes place in between, well, in alternating between the two kingdoms of Elsira and Lagrimar. And these are separated by what's called the mantle, which is like this magical veil or wall that keeps the places um, apart. Elsira, the people who live there, have magical capabilities, but they lose them very quickly because the person who leads them, who's called the true father, takes it from from the citizens. And these are all like quite pale-skinned people. And then the people who live in Lagrimar are darker-skinned and do have magical abilities. And the true father is trying to dismantle the wall or the veil the mantle, uh, dismantle the mantle in order to get to Lagrimar so he can take the magic also from those people. So he's just like a power hungry. In my head, he's Emperor Palpatine. I don't know how like accurate that's supposed to be, but in my head, he's definitely Emperor Palpatine when I'm reading these books. Um, and in the first book, 
it, it's about a woman named Jasminda who lives in Elsira, but she has Lagrimarian ancestry. So she is a dark skinned person living in a light skinned country, uh, which causes her endless <laughs> amounts of grief. But she's just trying to like do her own thing. She's inherited a farm from her parents. She just wants to live on her farm and mind her own business and have everybody leave her alone. But you know, whiteness don't let you sleep. So that's not a thing that happens. Uh, and so one day a group of Lagrimary soldiers come onto her farm They've accidentally come through the mantle thinking that they're still in their own country, but they're not. And she gets entangled with one of their spies, gets involved in this whole inter-country political drama. Um, and because she has magical abilities in a country without a lot of magic, that factors in. So it's like, you know, I mean, I don't want to say typical, but it's a very kind of familiar sort of fantasy story about one woman saving the world with her magical abilities, right? And... There's also some romance. It's super fun. And then book two is the same universe, like the same two countries with the same kind of political issue happening, but a different set of characters. And then book three, the same, and book four, the same. So the world and the magical system remains. You are with the political turmoil the whole time. Like every event that matters to each character in the, in, in the book that you're reading has still happened, right, to the same people. Um, they're just responding differently in the next. So it's very much this like... It's not always the next generation. Like, not enough time has always passed between one book to the next for it to be, like, somebody's kid. But it is different characters. They're often younger, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the Earthsinger Chronicles. The first book is called Song of Blood and Stone. And it's by L. Penelope. Yeah, it's real hard to get this exact thing. Mm -hmm. Like, the, I forgot to mention, but Lindsay listed some of the others that she's read, including Octavia Butler and the Earthseed trilogy which, or series, which is exactly this. Uh, and then Robin Hobb and the Broken Earth series. And it, it is very tricky to find all, you know, of these criteria in one series. So I had to ask for some help. Liberty recommended, uh, it's like actually two series is uh, and it's by an author that I didn't realize I knew because it's by Michelle West, who also turns out to be Michelle Sagara. Surprise! Mm -hmm. I had no idea. That's so cool. So that now makes me want to read these. But it's, so as I said, it's two series, the Sacred Hunt series and the Sun Sword series. So the Sacred Hunt starts with Hunter's Oath. And this is like a very, you know sort of medieval fantasy world. Um, once a year, the sacred hunt has to be called. And then there is, you know, the hunter god's prey will be one of these specific group of people. And there is an oath involved. And then, of course, there's somebody who has to, like, try to figure out how to navigate this oath. And there's destiny and all of those good things. Um, the main characters in this first one are Gilliam and an orphan boy named Stephen. And I do love an orphan in fantasy. I mean, there's so many of them, right? <laughs> but it's very enjoyable. And so the events of this, it's a two-book series, then influence what happens in the Sun Sword series, The Broken Crown. So they're connected, and the Sacred Hunt part starts first, and then you get into the Sun Sword. There's all of these different clans. There's treachery. There's magic. There's, you know, people threatening to kill all of a specific clan, all of the classic things. So I, you know, again, it was recommended by Liberty, so I'm not super 100% up on the specifics. I am putting in a library hold for these because they sound very enjoyable. And Liberty is, as you know, if you have ever listened to all the books, an excellent recommender. So again, that's the Sacred Hunt and Sun Sword series by Michelle West. And the first book is Hunter's Oath. Okay, our next question is from Casey, who says, I used to love reading when I was a kid or a teen, but when I started college, I decided that I should focus on classics and modern literary novels. I either disliked or couldn't finish most of them and came to the conclusion that I just didn't like reading anymore. A prayer for Owen Meany and the incredibly annoying all-caps dialogue was the last straw. However, in the age of COVID, I've rediscovered my love of reading thanks to sci-fi, fantasy, mysteries, thrillers, horror, and evil even a couple of westerns. So I think I'm ready to give literary fiction another go. I am in search of literary fiction novels, which are not jump off my balcony depressing, smack my head off the wall boring, or roll my eyes so hard they get stuck that way pretentious. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I picked The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett because it is literary fiction, um, very well regarded. I think it's, it was just shortlisted for the Women's Prize um, last week. Um, but it has kind of a mystery element a bit, or at least a, an element of like, 
page turneriness. Can't wait to see what happens to these people. Um, so it's it's very fast paced. So it's not the sort of literary fiction where like you know you're watching paint dry in people's heads. Um, so it's about uh, twin sisters, the Vignes twins, who grow up in this tiny little black community in I think it's in Louisiana. In the South. And this is a planned community um, where only light-skinned black people are allowed to live. They do not intermarry with darker-skinned black people. They do not want darker-skinned black people to live with them. This is a community entirely of people who can, and sometimes do, pass uh, as white. So when when the sisters turn 16, they run away. Um, You know, that kind of typical teenager, small towns are evil, blah, blah, blah kind of thing. So they run off to New Orleans. And when they're in New Orleans, they start taking very different paths. One of the girls um, gets a job as a secretary because she passes as white. And then she ends up marrying her boss. And so she gets like she just chooses this life where she has to pretend to be white for the rest of her life. Um, Her sister and she totally abandons her sister in, in the course of doing this. Her sister does kind of the opposite. Her sister marries a very dark-skinned black man who turns out to be abusive. She has a daughter, and in order to escape him, she takes her daughter, who is also very dark-skinned, back to her hometown uh, where she stays and, you know, grows old, and the daughter grows up. So her daughter grows up to be dark-skinned in a light-skinned community. She's made fun of. She's bullied a lot. Um, And then her path crosses with her cousin's path. So the daughter of the sister who decided to be white passing. Their paths cross. The white girl, or yeah, I'm doing air quotes, white. The white girl does not know that she is black and uh, is like discovers that. And so then you're just kind of with these two girls as they're living out the consequences of their mother's choices. And the whole time you're waiting for the moms to get back together, right? Like you're waiting for that conflict that like you abandoned me how could you spend your life living a lot like I had no other choice like you're waiting for that conflict it's like 350 pages of like I just want to see the fight you know Um, (laughs) and so the it's not it's not really a mystery I suppose it's not like you don't know what happens but you don't know how you never know how it's going to come together or like what it's going to look like for this family at the end like is anyone going to get closure is anyone going to end up happy is anyone going to you know get enough information about their family that they feel satisfied um yeah it's so compelling like it's a it's a one sit literary fiction read i think if you can take an entire day you could probably read it in a whole day so that's the vanishing half by Britt bennett i picked the seed keeper by diane wilson which i just read recently and love so much and i feel like absolutely works for this question It is about a woman, Rosalie Ironwing. She is uh, Dakota, of Dakota descent. And she lives in Minnesota. And you meet her at her adult, in her adult lifespan, where she, her husband has died and she's sort of abandoning their farm and going back to this tiny shack in the woods where she grew up with her father uh, and it's like the middle of a snowstorm and she's like very she's very clearly depressed and struggling to reckon with her entire life and what it has become and you find out over the course of the book that she did have a very difficult childhood Uh, she when her father died she was placed into foster parenting it did not go well and she had to make like difficult choices and was very much a loner Uh, and then you follow her from that childhood um, through her up to the moment that she you know is leaving her farm after her husband has died you also get several other perspectives, including some of her Dakota ancestors. Uh, and there's some there are some really difficult, you know, passages in this book because, you know, this is a story about colonialism and settlers and the violence that they have perpetrated against Native peoples. It's also very much about what it's like to be a person of native descent in Minnesota in, you know, modern times and all of these monuments and how that impacts you as a human and how people treat you. Uh, and, and then also this like deeply, deeply personal story of trying to 
connect the dots of your own life because, you know, that has not been something that she has been able to do for various reasons. And it is so engaging and so compelling. I loved the way the structure moved around. I was a little nervous at first. I was like, oh, is this going to be hard for me to follow? But no, I thought Wilson did an amazing job threading everything together. And Rosalie is such a compelling character. And the supporting characters are great, too. I just I really loved everything about this book it's so ugh, it's just so compelling I don't know what else to say so and and it's beautifully written so I think it you know ticks all of the boxes uh, I will so just to sum up all of those content warnings oh and add a couple that I didn't touch on um, it does include death by suicide addiction child neglect racism and racial violence against native peoples all right there we go so that's the seed keeper by Diane Wilson everyone read it <laughs> Alrighty, let's see. Our next question is from Abby, who says, I read a few of your recommendations for other readers and have loved them so far. I'm looking for a book set in Jamaica, preferably by a Jamaican author. I mostly read literary and historical fiction and prefer books with beautiful writing over an elaborate plot. I have already read A Brief History of Seven Killings. Amanda, what did you pick? Okay, I picked Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Y. Dennis Ben, which was like a huge deal a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was everywhere. The book was everywhere. Um, so this takes place in Montego Bay in Jamaica, and it's um, like a small village kind of outside of Montego Bay. There are three women who were following a mother and her two daughters. Margot's kind of the main character. She's the older sister who works at a local like resort you know, in Montego Bay. Um, she is also on the side working as a prostitute. Uh, unbeknownst to any of her family. And she's taking all of that money and giving it to or saving it for her younger sister, whose name is Sandy. Um, She wants to send her to medical school. Like, I want, you know, she wants her younger sister to go off and become a doctor and get out of this really hard life and cycle of poverty and uh, whatnot. Sandy's not interested in that. She wants to be an artist and spends most of her time trying to lighten her skin. So that's how that's going. Um, And then their mother has a bunch of secrets of her own. Um, Margot is also very secretly in love with another woman in the village, a woman who has been kind of outcast by the other villagers and is, you know, they think that she's a witch and all of that. Um, being a lesbian at this point in Jamaica, very, very frowned on, um, actually illegal. And so she's, you know, not trying to let anybody know (laughs) this thing about herself. Um, and then a new resort or new luxury, whatever, um, is it a hotel? I don't remember. A new resort uh, is going to come in and be built like exactly where their village is, like on that property. So all of these people are about to be displaced and everybody has to decide what they're going to do. Margot, because she works for a hotel property, is kind of like feels like she's participating in this whole system. Um, And so it's pretty dark, you know, like I, what am I trying to say? Mm, No, I think that's just, it's just really dark. You know, I think that here comes the sun gives it such a, the title and its setting, you know, I think that most people would go into reading a book with that title and setting and be like, oh, it's like a vacation. No, no, (laughs) ma'am. Nope. That's not what you're getting. It's not, this is not a beach read or it can be if you read it on the beach because that's what a beach read is. Um, But it's not what you would think of. So this is really about a family struggling, like struggling in the face of racism and like the, you know, tourist industry that's completely predatory. Um, homophobia, like all of these things that they're struggling against, all in the name of just living a happy and satisfied and contented life that they absolutely deserve. Um, so it's not going to be, yeah, I feel like I keep saying this because the I tend to not read synopses before I pick up books that I've heard about or, or that have like won prizes. Like I don't want to go into it blind. So I kind of went into this blind expecting something very different. Uh, and if you are a similar kind of reader, it's not happy. Like, it's not happy and sunshiny. So just throwing that out there. Okay, so that's Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Y. Dennis-Ben. I took the opportunity to pick a book from my TBR that I'm super excited about. It's August Town by Key Miller. Kai Miller? I should have looked that up. I apologize <laughs> if I've mispronounced that. And it is set in a, like, poor neighborhood in Jamaica. And the main character, Ma Taffy, is sort of the repository of 
gossip, lore, history, what have you. Uh, she is blind and she is the center of this neighborhood. And one day her great nephew comes home from school in tears and she has this premonition that something horrible is going to happen. And they're waiting for her great nephew's mother to come home from work. In the meantime, she's telling him stories. And you're also getting stories from the other community members. So this is one of those. Oh, it's so juicy. I love when people do this. It's one of those books where you get like a 360 view of a community. All of the supporting characters have their own moment to show like who they are and how they all fit together, sometimes in very surprising and unexpected ways. And there's, you know, mythology and surrealism and all kinds of, you know, present and past history woven together in this. And by all accounts, the writing is excellent. So I think it just sounds so exciting and lush and interesting. And I'm super excited about it. And I thought you might want to pick it up as well. So again, that's August Town by Key Miller. And now it's time for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Jessica, who says, I recently finished Piranesi and that star, uh, the Starless Sea. I found both so fascinating. I would love a read alike. Maybe something where the main character gets lost in another world. I have also read Every Heart of Doorway and The Hazelwood and really enjoyed both. Okay, um, I we both we both picked middle grade books. I just noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and this is so much easier to fulfill with children's with children's books, and I, the, they're like often equally as dark. So anyway, mm-hmm. I picked Summer and Bird by Catherine Catmull, um, which is a middle grade book that I read years ago and have kept on my shelf my shelf ever since. It is very dark in this. You know, it's got that kind of Neil Gaiman Coraline sort of feeling where you're like, should I get this? my child (laughs) i don't know (laughs) my kid might have nightmares um but hashtag worth it Mm. so this is about a set of sisters who are named as you can probably guess summer and bird their parents disappear in the middle of the night one night they wake up parents gone um and so they go off on this quest there's a message from that their mother has left it's very cryptic it's weird it's in pictures um that leads them to a gate in the woods outside of their house but once they get through the gate, it's not the same. It's not like they're, you know, the woods in their backyard. They're in another world, a new world, and the, the one that they call Down. 
And in this world, it is mostly populated by talking birds. There is an evil queen because there's always an evil queen, right? And she's a puppeteer. And so Summer and Bird are very different sisters. They have very different, like, motivations and kind of traumas and fears. And so they respond to being in this world in very different ways. And they end up on two different paths. They get separated um, and they end up on two different paths. It's a kind of a very Narnia sort of feeling um, and end up following different um, paths in their hearts, I guess, to try to get their parents back, some of which are a little bit more brutal than others, and also to defeat this puppeteer queen and install the rightful queen of this um, world, who is uh, uh, the bird queen. And so, you know, it's it's kind of a typical epic fantasy quest for two kids who have found themselves in a different world. But it is so, like, emotional in, and, and raw and real um, in the way that, like, when the girls realize their parents are gone, that, like, terror that they feel uh, at having, like, are they abandoned? Did something happen to them? Are they in danger? It's just so well portrayed. Like, it. It just breaks your heart. It breaks your heart. The whole thing. And you can watch them, you know, with the the distance of age now, make all of these choices that they make once they're in this magical world and are trying to, like, desperately get their family back together. And you can just see that, like, the way that kids make choices, it's just so well done. Like, they don't, they don't, they don't have wisdom. They don't have life experience. They're so emotional. They're kind of like tiny sociopaths. Like, they just make whatever the choice that they make that they're, that, that feels right to them without life experience or the boundaries of like society what society expects you or how society expects you to behave on you and so they just act out of their gut in all of these situations and you just and there's no pay there's no adult there to help them it's oh so hard it's so hard to read you just want to hug everyone um but the world is really beautifully uh, like beautifully wrought it's really it's just really great so that's summer and bird by katherine catmull yeah it's it's not like there's not uh, more adult portal fantasy no, like <laughs> Piranesi and Starless Sea but I just I also I was very much like uh, the one I want to recommend is indeed middle grade but it also gets very emotional and dark in interesting ways so I am recommending the Fairyland series by Catherine Valenti and it starts with the girl who circumnavigated Fairyland. And by the way, mm-hmm. I did not realize there were now five books in this series. Mm. I mean, the last one came out in 2016, so I am behind the times extremely. I've read three of them. I knew there was a fourth. I did not realize there was a fifth. So I clearly have some catching up to do. But this series is so on mm. with the emotional content like it is just so I mean the things that get tackled are just so it's it's like it's what good kids books do because you know kids are aware of the dark and scary things in the world and it's not helpful to pretend they're not there but also you can't treat them like adults around these issues because they're not and they don't have the resources the emotional resources to deal with it in the same way that an adult would so how do you approach these things and like to me that is so much what fairy tales and children's fantasy does is give some framework and tools for like dealing with these big Mm. huge sometimes very dark emotional issues so For example, the first book in the series, The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making, is about a 12-year-old named September. She lives in Omaha. I think that I'm guesstimating it's like World War I because there's a reference that her father has gone to war and her mother's gone to work. And that feels very World War I or World War II. Uh, And she's like extremely bored and a little bit snotty, like lying out in a field, sad that nothing's going on. And she meets a, you know, mysterious person who turns out to be the Green Wind who invites her on an adventure and, like, tells her that Fairyland needs her help. So, obviously, she's going to go. And she ends up on this whole giant quest to defeat the evil Marquess, who turns out to be a girl not much older than her, also from her world, who is so much more complex than your classic evil queen of hearts type character uh and it's there's a wyvern library offspring called a wiverary and there's a mysterious boy named saturday who also has like unusual powers and they go on this incredible quest to defeat the marquess and along the way it's just it's such a delightful 
wonderful, enjoyable romp that also really digs into some heavy stuff, but in like the, the most wonderful of ways. And uh, so for this book in particular, there is a mention of child abuse, which plays a part in the story. But it's, I don't even know, y'all. It's just so good. It's really, mm -hmm. really good. And uh, I recommend it for kids and adults all the time, forever. Um, so that's the Fairyland series by Catherine Valenti. The first book is The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland. I can never say that on the first try. <laughs> the Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. <laughs> I'm when the boys were in like the middle of virtual school and we're not loving it. I just mm. would like let them skip days sometimes and just give them assigned reading from my own bookshelves. <laughs> and I made them read The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairland in a Ship of Our Own Making. And then they would not stop making portmanteaus out of yes. like wyvern and other things. So like the kitchen became the wyverichin <laughs> and other like, yeah, I'm going to go play on my, my Nintendo switch was like the, the wyver witch. It was just, it was amazing. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that story. Oh my goodness. All right. Let's see. Our next question is from Jana who says my reading taste has always lead leaned more towards horror, science fiction, fantasy. I don't often enjoy contemporary or literary fiction, but when I do, it's always a long, heartbreaking character study. Some of my favorites have been The Heart's Invisible Furies and The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. I would love to read an amazing character-driven story that spans a long period of someone's life, but that is set in a fantastical or sci-fi world. Bonus points for authors of color or LGBT plus themes. All right, Amanda, what did you pick? I picked the Ancillary Justice book. Uh, I was going to say trilogy, but they have different names. Ancillary Justice is the first book in the trilogy by Anne Leckie. And this is about a soldier named Brack who wakes up on like an icy planet um, in a human body and is just very confused <laughs> about all of that because Breck was actually, in a former life, the Justice of Torin, which was a huge starship with an artificial intelligence that linked together every soldier who was on the ship. So the, the, the ship was linked with their consciousnesses. Zzz, zzz, zzz. Um, and Justice of Torin used their link with all of these soldiers to help defeat the galaxy in the name of the rock, which, which is the like name of this um, what a, uh, empire they, you know, that they worked for. Um, so because they're a ship, they don't really have a gender, but she refers to herself as she throughout most of the book. Um, and it spans, this is such an interesting way to answer this question, I think, because it spans Breck's lifetime. Like I'm using scare mm. quotes here. Um, but Breck is a, is a machine, like a ship, you know? Um, and she gets very attached to a particular, I think she's a lieutenant, uh, on one of her ships who ends up dying like very early in one of the books. Um, there's a betrayal and you follow this whole story that ends with, the Justice of Torin, this very powerful AI ship being, um, you know, put into the, the the body of one human person and then having to go and who is like fallible and can get injured and all of this stuff. And then having to go like get revenge on the people who have caused this doubt, her downfall, but also the death of one of the lieutenants who was on the ship who she got very attached to. Um, and because she is essentially immortal like this is a, a starship right like she will live as long as she's being serviced essentially um you are with her forever like it's three books that span a very 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 long time um and sometimes she gets like real tired of it <laughs> which understandably um she gets embroiled in this huge political um it's not even really a conspiracy but like the empire is falling apart some of it has to do with the stuff that has happened to her how she went from being a ship to, to like a person um, and along the way, she like visits all these different planets and has to learn all of these different um, like cultural norms and how to behave in different societies. And it's just really fascinating. The language is really interesting. The gender stuff is super interesting. But you are with her forever, like not even figuratively, <laughs> like actually just forever, <laughs> because everyone eventually, you know, when she wakes up, everyone she knows is dead. But like she's still on this mission. It's just so good. It's so good and weird. It's weird. So that's Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Yeah, hard cosine on that one. Mm -hmm. So good. 
So I picked A Stranger in Olandria by Sophia Samatar. This is ugh, such a good character. Like, like when you talk mm-hmm. about character study in fantasy or sci-fi, this was one of the first ones I thought of. And it's not, you know, an entire lifetime. It's more like a couple decades. But it has that sweeping sense that you get that I think is what you're looking for alongside of, you know, getting a a big view of somebody's life, like that feeling of time passing and all of the changes that happen to a person as time passes. So our main character, Jevik, is a son of a pepper merchant and he grows up on this island and his father is like a very successful trader who often goes off to Olandria where he sells all the pepper and like that's the seat of you know quote unquote education and culture and all things fancy and not like island life which is what Jevik is used to and so he's always dreaming of going to Olandria and he you know gets this fancy tutor and his being brought up to take over the business and her father, his father does die, and Jevik goes to Alandria, but things go dramatically wrong when that happens. He takes part in this fest of, feast of the birds that's like very like uh, orgiastic is the word that comes to mind. Like there's a lot of drinking and like running through the streets, and like some people aren't wearing clothes. Like it's like a lot, and he imbibes some things that perhaps he should not have, and suddenly is haunted by the ghost of this young girl who he met on the journey to Olandria, and he does not understand why or how or any of that. And he's trying to get help because he's become like physically ill as well as mentally ill because of this haunting. And it turns out that haunting is like very suspect and like feared in Olandrian society, which he has not realized because, you know, where he's from, it's like, oh, yeah, that can happen. Like, here's what we do about it. But no, they're like, oh, you know, shun him. Also get him out of here as quickly as possible. He ends up, you know basically imprisoned and part of a political struggle for power that he has no frame of reference for being a part of. And he just like, he just wants to go home. He just wants to get better and go home. And in the meantime, the ghost girl is like, I need you to tell my story. So you're getting actually two character studies uh, because you also get Jevik like trying to do as this ghost wishes and tell her story as well as his own. And it's a book that is deeply in love with books, which is always a thing that I love. It is uh, so immersive. The world building is just beautiful and highly specific. The prose is like very ornate and, you know, definitely pulls you in. It's very visual. And I just love everything about it. And I think you will really dig it. So again, that's A Stranger in Olandria by Sophia Samatar. Oh, who, by the way, is uh, Somali of Somali descent. Um, so that's, that's you asked for authors of color. Here you are. <laughs> All right. Our last question is from Jocelyn, who says, My recent favorite book was The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. And I found myself to be enjoying the fragmented and unreliable narrative. Are there any books in a similar vein that you would recommend? Not looking for thriller books with unreliable narrators, though. Okay, I picked Atonement by Ian McEwen, which is another World War II book. And now I'm starting to wonder <laughs> if, like, the English have a thing for writing World War II novels with unreliable narrators. Like, what's that generational trauma? <laughs> I don't know. It's a whole thing. So um, Atonement is about a 13-year-old girl named Bryony who lives on a kind of... Not crumbling, but like a, you know, aging English estate with a very wealthy family, her very wealthy family. She has an older sister named Cecilia, and it's 1935, and she, you know, she's 13, and she witnesses an interaction between her sister and a boy named Robbie, who is the son of one of the servants, I think the gardener um, of the estate. So Cecilia and Robbie have this flirtation, this encounter elbow elbow eyebrow eyebrow um that this 13 year old girl witnesses and she reads it entirely wrong and her reading of that situation leads to her family completely falling apart and robbie ending up in france during world war ii her sister and bryony herself ending up in london as nurses um and the way that this is written is so 
it's fragmented. Like you ask for fragmented and unreliable. Bryony is telling this story over the course of 60 years, starting from when she's 13 to when she's older. And she's a writer herself when she's in her older years. And so the structure of the book kind of follows that fragmentation. So you get the opening chapters that are like, here's what happened when I was 13. I saw my sister, you know, do this thing with Robbie, whatever. And then the older she gets, the weirder kind of the writing gets or the more like modernist it gets. Um, and you start to realize pretty quickly that the story that you're getting from her is not the truth. So you can't really depend on anything that she's saying. You don't really know. Like the the narrative crumbles as the style kind of crumbles if that makes sense it's very modernist in that very Ian McEwan sort of way um if you've seen the movie then like you already know how she's unreliable um but if not I think it is worth reading before you see it's a great movie though before you see the movie um but again what's up with all the World War II books <laughs> the unreliable narrators I'm gonna look into this so that's Atonement by Ian McEwan I will look forward to your report on <laughs> yeah right <laughs> this, this mini trend <laughs> So I had to get help with this one because it turns out that all of the unreliable narrator books I have read are in fact thrillers in Mm -hmm. some way or another. So I went for help and Jess, who is on staff and is has excellent taste in books, recommended Trust Exercise by Susan Choi, which has been on my list because I have loved Susan Choi's past books. So this book takes place in an American suburb in the early 80s, and it follows two students who are at an extremely competitive performing arts high school. And you can imagine what that academic, you know, atmosphere is like. (laughs) So, right, exactly. So, So these two freshmen, David and Sarah, fall in love, and their acting teacher is, like, very aware of what's going on and sort of gets, like, involved in a way like hashtag gross and mm. I mean I don't actually know the specifics because I haven't read the book it's but gross nope, it right. sounds gross yeah mm-hmm. right exactly uh, and so we're talking about you know like economic status and academic pressure and creative pressure and all of these different you know things first young love like teacher student boundary crossing all of these things and the way Jess described it to me is Rashomon-y, which definitely is like a fragmented, un- unreliable narrative story. So you get you, you get the story, and then it switches POVs, and you get a different story about that story, and then you get a third POV. And it all picks apart the same events, but from very different perspectives. So this sounds to me like exactly what you're looking for. And also Susan Choi is a great writer. So super interesting. I have also heard, and I think Amanda can verify, this is a very polarizing book. Mm -hmm. Like people have big feelings about how it goes. So there we are. So that's Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. And that's our show. Thank you so much to our audio editor, who this week is Dr. Baker, filling in for Jen Zink. We super appreciate that. Uh, Thank you all for listening, as always. And if you want more book recommendations, you can get those at Mm bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We've got lots of good ones from other general shows to very genre-specific If you are so inclined to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it. It helps other folks to find the show, and we do love to see those come in. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors for helping make the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram. I'm Amanda Nelson, talking almost exclusively about my dog. (laughs) Petunia for the win. (laughs) Uh, I just like to warn people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, listen, they should know what they're getting, but it's Mm -hmm. also excellent content. So (laughs) Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.